Tuesday morning. This is your town. This is your station. This is Waitley. Good morning. We're totally up front this morning. I intend to be completely distracted by events at Wellington. England is chasing 258 in the fourth innings of a test match away from home. Now, traditionally, that would be an incredibly difficult task, but I flicked it on this morning fully expecting England to win and win easily as long as they stay with the mode that they're absolutely committed to. They've lost two wickets in the first half hour. The night watchman, which is fine, but Duckett is out as well. So they're three for 68, chasing 258. Most teams would historically creep up on that sort of total. They would set themselves to bat the day and accumulate, and there would be the steady fall of wickets and the tension that's mixed into it. But I expect the Baz Ballers to blast their way to the total. So let's see. Let's see if the if the religion that they're subscribed to holds on the fifth day of a test match, which they had under their control, was prized away, and now is very much in the balance. It's not a bad heart starter for indoor tomorrow. Going to have a chat with Adam Gilchrist. Maybe a slightly bigger picture than there's been so much. There's been so much autopsy around the fatal decisions to sweep. I think it's a bit bigger than that, the the questions of Australia in India at the moment. And we're also going to head to Scotland. So Ange Postacoglu is the centrepiece of what feels like the most powerful connection between a coach and a football community right now. The Celtic faithful love Ange. The latest victory in the Scottish League Cup over Rangers. We'll go right to the heart of that, how it's happened, how long it might last. It's one of those moments where the coach is... The centrepiece. Oh, nearly a run out. No, no. Hope made it back. Um, it's one of those moments where the coach is the centrepiece. And, and that feels the dynamic at, at St Kilda and North Melbourne entering the fresh season. So I've read the rambling storytelling of Ross Lyon with Robbo this morning. It's a lovely warming piece. So the timing is perfect given the doom saying out of the match simulation from the weekend. The, di- the diagnosis of the year ahead, we will play up-tempo. We'll ask questions of a lot of teams. Some teams will answer the questions and some teams won't be able to answer them and we will win the games. That's that's the diagnosis of Ross Lyon. And then Alistair Clarkson with Tim Watson last night. So while he apologised to the female reporter at Channel 9 for a confrontation at the doorstop that Sam Edmund told us about last week, he, he is unrepentant. That's the combative side of Clarkson that he's happy to show and obviously reluctant to curb. So we'll play with a few of those ideas the day ahead. one 736 736 You can text at any stage, 0433 Our Tuesdays start with Nathan Buckley. Hello to you, Bucks. Yeah, Jared. How are you? I'm good. Is your, a comeback is on the cards. Um, I opened my Herald Sun today and there you are contemplating, well, you're committing to a game. Do you want to check my forehead and see whether I've got a temperature? Because I don't know how that decision came about. Um, I think there's a quote in there that says, uh, I know I'm going to break. I just don't know, don't know when and I don't know where. And, and that's, um, yeah, look, at, I'm, um, I'm taking a leap. Uh, I like the idea of uh, the country football aspect. Um, I haven't thought about playing a game of football. I've, I've done a little bit, like I... When I was early days as a coach, I think I was involved in some match simulation scrimmage stuff okay. at times if the numbers were uneven or you sort of jump in when you're a coach. But that's um, that was a while ago now. So I'm going to 
I'm going to have to go on a bit of a prep. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I suppose I'm saying yes to some, some things that I would not normally say yes to. So the Carlton draft has got that lovely aspect of uh, great footballers go to struggling country clubs yep. and there's a whole day built around it. So there's a, a very much a fundraising aspect and then the, the, the game, as we saw this play out on a couple of beautiful occasions last year, we, we had sort of little um, pen picks of them on yeah. 360 and, and Fox Footy. So that's that's the concept that you're going to be a part of. And, and you don't know where you'll end up. No, and it, and, it, and that, to be honest, that captured my imagination last year. And I think it does most people. I, I, I um, As a seven-year-old uh, dad coach, West Gambia in the Western Border League, and that was when you know the country leagues were thriving, I, I, I assume, like... Coleraine, uh, Cassett and Portland, Hamilton, yeah, all the east, west, north, south Gambias, um, Millicent, like these were like country towns that had really strong representative football teams. And I remember going around because dad was coaching West Gambia, you know, ball under my arm, eating whiz fizzes, walking around the ovals, yeah. just finding trouble. Space <laughs> Invaders back in the, back in the sort of the aftermatch until it was time to go home. So this is sort of full circle. You get back to a country feel, a country environment, but they're they're struggling. They're not going as well um, because of the economy of the the top end of the game and um, and and life itself. So to be able to involve grassroots and get it get it closer and be involved and and sort of somehow get an AFL. Um, a personality or talent or someone that's you know benefited from this grassroots of football and then gone on to and then to come back I see it as a full circle moment and I'm sort of looking forward to in, engaging as much as I can when you retired why why didn't you play any footy at any level I think one of the markers of you as a coach was in your dress shoes you're always out there kicking the footy so your love yeah. of that aspects clearly never wane but but you didn't play a, a single game anywhere no and I um, I played touch footy and I ripped my hammy off the bone doing that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I think I, I really do feel like I left that, that part of me go. Yep. Um, I'd exhausted all of the competitiveness that I had. And if I wasn't competing at the top level, it was like, oh, I'm happy not to compete. I, I didn't really ever put my hand up for the all-stars games at any stage because they were for they were for fun and and at that stage of my life I didn't see footy as fun as yes. such it was still a business, um, so I didn't want to compromise it like, like, and I knew that I'd, my competitive nature would probably you know probably not fit in at that stage but you know now now things are a little bit different and and I'm not there to compete I'm there to participate yep. and to contribute um, so it's a, it's a different a totally different mindset. Just before we delve into um, our agenda for the day, um, we were together at the Super Bowl and I haven't discussed much of it in the aftermath with you. What did you mm. think of the overall spectacle of the days leading up in the game itself? Yeah, look, I thought it was amazing. We got there really early for the tailgate, which is basically the pre-match you know, social activities um, from you know, 10.30, 11, 11 o'clock in the car park and then to the to their big tailgate area, which which I presume is where the September Club has you know evolved from the yep. idea of the September Club. Um, but walking into the stadium, the general feel you knew it was a you know a marquee game, and we're we're all excited to be there. The game itself was brilliant. Um, the twilight nature of it, first half, you know, in su- sunlight basically, even though it's a fairly closed stadium, 
and then the halftime entertainment in the dark and then the game continues. I, I mean, I, th- I thought I've been a traditionalist for the AFL grand final, but I can see a twilight, you know, the way it pay- played out at the Gabba and at Perth um, in 21 and, and 20 and 21. I, I see that as something that, you know, is, is worthwhile doing it. The build up to the game during the day, I think was a great experience. And I haven't really immersed myself in, in an event like that before. So I, I thought it was brilliant. And what did you think of the last two minutes? So it was an odd two minutes where there was very little football played and it was that that is the strategic core as Andy Reid worked the game perfectly to deny the opposition any football. Yeah, it wasn't really. just the last two minutes. They got the ball back with five minutes, uh, five and 40, I think, five minutes, 40 left on the clock. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, with an, and, and about, on about the, I think the Eagles 30. So it was, they had 70 metres to get. All they needed to get was 40 metres to get in the field goal range. And you keep getting first downs. And I, I, you just felt like, like their offence is smart enough not to go too fast, but not to go too slow, to be able to make those yards. They played, the, they, they called the right plays. They managed to, you know, move the chains. Got a good, got a holding call there at one point, which was a definitive play. And then you get a you get a player who takes a knee half a meter out just so they can take force the opposition to use their timeouts and then chew up the clock even further. That was just a clinical display, and that's the scenario coaching that we talk about. You know, two minute drills. You know, they they have far more control on the clock and on the tactical nature of the game because it's less transition. Um, and when you've got the ball, it's nine tenths. Yeah, when we've got the ball, yeah, but you're about to get tackled or you've got yep. three seconds to get rid of it. So our, our game is more in transition and therefore harder to control the clock as such. But, yeah, that, it, was, it was brilliantly played. Did it, so it appealed to your coaching mind. What about as a fan? Did you feel like that the game deserved a better climax than that? Um, no, I, no I, I think... I mean, I, I watched the the Geelong Sydney game at the end, you know, obviously the grand final last year, and I and I saw the beauty in that. It was a a brutal, powerful performance by one team who was who just dominated the opposition on the day. Just because the scoreboard was lopsided for me doesn't doesn't make it any less impressive, uh, or the occasion any less because we saw the dominant team of the year stand up and and execute their plans absolutely. Um, and and dominate the next best team of the year they'd, where they'd qualified. So I I don't think the I I admire the NFL more and more as I go along for what it is. I, don't, I try not to look for what where the shortcomings are, but where the strengths are. And I, I think if we keep doing that, you you continue to be impressed by the the physicality and the um and yeah you know, the capacity of the people that play and the coaches that um, that guide it. There's ideas that. I think can be traded back and forth. Uh, they could learn a lot from us around what a trophy presentation and the celebration at the end looks like and the lap of honour. I think their time slot is the perfect time slot. The, the one striking aspect is there's uh, the reporting in the aftermath. The, the referee is made available to a respected pool reporter who asks the sequence of questions about mm. the holding call. Why was it? Was it contentious? How was it decided on the field? Is there anything anyone else needs to know? And it's all out there. You don't have to agree with mm. it, but this is how that call was made, and uh, and it, it's it's very defendable. Um, 
I think, well, you lived a grand final with the moment at the end of it. I think that's a very useful thing to do so that everybody understands what happened and why. Well, I think I can debate from an informed position. Could you tell me with your understanding, like where does our respect for our umpires and our officiating, you know, teams, where does it sit on the world stage? When it come when when we when when you say you look at cricket umpires or you look at an NFL referee or an NBA uh, referee, where where do is it higher lower? I I think it's in, I think it's in kilter. I I suspect that an international phenomenon is that we all think the umpires are wrong all the time. Internationally. Yep. So it's not just every a, fan base yeah, is the okay. same. I I, th- I mean even this this talk about four umpires. I, Go for it. You guys you guys live this, you breathe it. Your job, you know that your job is to execute the rules as they're written and there's a lot of grey in every rule book and there's a lot of competitors, players and coaches that are trying to find that grey area and milk it for a competitive advantage for all it's worth. So you are... You are the judge, jury, and executioner. You are you are the people that are in charge with officiating the game. We trust you to do it as best you can. If you if you think four umpires is needed to do that, then do it. Go for it. There's no there's no debate for me. You make the calls. Be invisible. Get it done. We just I just can't believe how much focus we put on this stuff. Just let let them do their job. They're not going to be perfect. Why do we expect people to be perfect? No one is. Do you like the idea of the transparency at the end of it, or are you unfazed by it? No, I believe that I I love it when Razor used to come in here. I don't think we give our – I know maybe they want to be um, anti-creating characters or personalities through that, but I think it humanises people when you hear from them, when you give them the chance to give voice to – the nuance in the decision-making. I think that by not allowing that, we create a bigger chasm between what we see in our officiating um, group and what we want to see. Like, yep. I think more communication is better yep. rather than rather than what we have seen. Ollie Pope is out. He's played a cut shot too close to him. The Bazballers are in strife here. They're four for 80, chasing 258. But Harry Brook has just made his way to the middle in Wellington. So this is going to be a, a tense couple of hours. Four for 80, chasing 258. I thought So we both watched Show Me The Money 2 yeah. uh, in the past 48 hours. Felt like now it's it's there for everyone to watch. Oh, there's a run out here. I think Brooke might have been run out first ball. Five for 80. Oh, so this is, the the fl- this, is, this is the flip side. Of an aggressive nature. You were talking about, we were talking about it yesterday about day three in the second test and the the mad sweeping and how quickly it can get away from you. Well, the margins when you have a real crack at it, run out by by three meters, didn't even Sent have the back, back down. Yeah. Um, you, you, when you, when you decide to be aggressive, you can win a lot. And I think it's always better to be proactive, but. Geez, when it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well real quick. Yep. So what do you do now at five for 80? You've still got 108, 180 runs to get. Do you stay aggressive? Like, you've got to be true to your philosophy. Yeah. So this could be over like that five in, in favour of New Zealand. They've lost four wickets in, what's that been, 50 minutes of cricket. 
the target, 258, looks a long way off. Brooke, run out without scoring. Okay, so if you have watched Show Me The Money 2, we'll do a little bit of, we'll stray into film reviewing. We tiptoed there yesterday. We're going to delve right in. It feels like this is our wheelhouse. So the documentary, which gives a a behind-the-scenes look at the transactional nature of trading, the emotional nature of trading, the story of some of the individual players, and the relationships in there. And what I found one of the most revealing aspects is the plans for what's to come this year and whether they do marry up with some of what was said. If you've watched it and you want to play along, one 736 is the EFS open line delivering simple freight solutions. And you can text the 40 Winks temper text 0433981116. Temper a mattress like no other. Bucks and I are about to delve into Show Me The Money too. Want to have your say? Ring Jared on one 736 736 Now, back to Waitley. Every moment like this will give every New Zealand player added belief this could actually be their day when so many people were assuming the runs would just be knocked off in due course. England under pressure. on earth is going on that could be the most important moment of the day this is a side in the field absolutely cock-a-hoop harry brook run out for a diamond duck did not face a ball five for 82 <laughs> david gow did set that up all rather beautifully. So Stokes and Root. Would have sounded a lot different if we went to the Kiwi. Um, yes, yes. Fine. Commentators. <laughs> it would have. All right. So we both watched Show Me The Money 2. Yeah. We I heard you speaking to Kane yesterday around this is the era of the behind the scenes of sport yeah. documentary. This is the second iteration of the, the trade period. Mm. We would both come at this differently. You've lived these experiences. Most of us, uh, the, voyeur is, the voyeurism as we look in. What... What struck you when you watched it? The reinforcement to me was yeah, how powerful the managers are in those situations because largely the um, yeah there is a voyeurism from from one out one back. I mean even the senior coach is who's looking for immediate success. He's looking for now. There's a list manager role that that he's front and center. Um, and then with the recruiting team, understanding what their picks are and working out that um, you know, in front of a list management panel. Who, But when the cut and thrust is there, it's the list manager with the managers. So their relationships are crucial. The, obviously, the manager's relationship with their players. And at that point, a player and a club could not be further apart, even though they're still on the, on the list. Um, and then all of a sudden you go, all of the reasons if a club wants to move a player on or feels like they're trying to get value for a player, they're simultaneously happy to let him go, but then valuing him for his strengths, but then saying that we can, we want to move on, we need to move on from you here. So it's a, you're trying to get, you're trying to say he's valuable, but we don't want him. It's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a very different scenario, very different situation. And when there is emotion and connection that is involved, as we saw with all the players, there's a there's a feeling of uh, a breakup of a relationship and a disconnect that takes place that has to take place for the trade to occur. A couple of the aspects for me around the managers. So the first was just how hands on they are in brokering a trade. Yes. So sometimes where the list managers couldn't find accord, 
what we would see was the manager step in and actually confirm a deal. Yes. I've got this deal done. You ring him. This yeah. is what's going to and happen. And we saw that with Paul Connors and with, with Colin Young yep. for their respective players at different times in that show. So whether you'd call it sort of brokering or strong arming, whatever it was, it was the sometimes it was the manager who broke the impasse between the two yep. teams. I thought it was so interesting that uh, that the Connors group had their own trade corporate breakfast for the behind the scenes look at it. <laughs> like they're the central players in it and they've got a breakfast at which some of the list managers are there. Yeah. I thought, I, so I was oblivious to that. Well, I, and I didn't realise that Robbie Durazio had so many brothers <laughs> <laughs> and their brother, brothers in list manager roles. Like, no, it's um, they're, they're clearly, yeah, it, it is, it's laid bare about how important relationships are to get things done. So, and, and list, list managers, player managers are looking for win-wins for the players. And the list managers have got the club's interests at heart and the fact that it is a team sport. It's not individual sport. And sometimes you need to sacrifice one to make a, the better decision for the whole um, based on, you know, the, the experiences and the knowledge of the leadership of the day. Um, and you don't always get that right, but you're representing the club and then the manager, someone needs to stand there for the player and stand for the player and the managers do that absolutely. And then the glimpse into the relationship. So I thought Rory Lobbs was illuminating. He tried to leave Fremantle the previous year. He stayed. He actually probably had his best season of footy, but there was an estrangement, he felt, from the coach. I'm sort of just a little bit disjointed from the, the coaching staff in a way. I think it is has stemmed from them thinking that I don't want to be there. You know, I barely talk to jail, probably like a couple of words once a week, but mm. I just sort of saw the writing on the wall. I found that a really interesting insight. Yeah, well, I think we need to strip that back. You know, I felt like I think it stems from the fact that they think I didn't want to be there. Well, asking for a trade only months earlier is probably going to lend people to think that you don't want to be there. So like, let's call that out. Um, and I secondly, I, I mean, in the end, a player, if he wants to leave, he will be less engaged in some shape or form, or he will be more interested in his own performance to um, feather his nest and to, um, and to Im improve his chances of you know, looking attractive to other clubs. So, and, and Roy Lobbert achieved all of that because he had probably had a career best back half of the year last year, ironically. Um, so I think in some way, whenever a player or a club chooses to move on from the relationship that they've shared and the promise of a future that is no longer going to, potentially no longer going to occur, it's no different to a romantic relationship. There is going to be some pain and trauma that, that occurs with it. Um, the pragmatic aspect and professional aspect of the club or, or of the game, I think when 18-year-olds go into it, I think their managers already know exactly how it's going to play out. But I think at some point we lose the romanticism of of playing AFL footy and you realise it's a business, I reckon, at, at a stage of maybe your first contract, your second contract, the first time you might be on the cusp might feel like I'm not as loved as I want, wanted to be or need to be. And they are all experiences that you have to go through to live a full life in this caper. So how does a coach 
mete out his attention and maybe to a degree even his affection across a player group, across the demands of a season. So there's the famous story of Lee Matthews. Is once you weren't playing, Lee had no time for you. Not mm. not as a per, but there was just too much else to do. Once you're injured, you're out of his focus. And once you were back in yeah. as an asset, then your attention. How much of a tussle is it to stay connected with everybody that you want to and need to? I think it is a, the primary role of the senior coach because in the end, once you've set your plans on how you want to go about it uh, for a season, well, then a lot of that work is picked up by the line coaches and the senior leaders in the playing group as much as the guiding sort of hand of a senior coach. When you the reason that there is a the senior coach's role is delineated from a list manager's role is because the senior coach need to needs to worry about this week and putting this squad together to um, improve its um, capacity to win now and you know and, and in the medium term the list manager there is looking at medium to long term and he's he's got to lift his eyes and project beyond the you know the minutiae of the day and the senior coach is allowed then to just go and focus on the group that he has in front of him right now. Um, and that delineation is required so that a club can have competing interests between now and later. Like you've, you've got to, you've got to be able to collaborate in that, in those aspects, but a senior coach absolutely needs to maintain connection with every element of the football program and largely on a connection basis, primarily uh, before you can even look at, getting the best out of your people. And would you need to do that in a structured way? Like, would you have to make time to make sure you'd spoken to everybody or? I I, I think, well, I, I once, you know, was given um, a piece of advice to, you know, have a player list there and put a dot, you know, when you've had a conversation, put a dot next to that name and make sure that you've, that you're sort of trying to knock that list over in a two week period. Okay. You know, you'd love to think that you could do it every day, but it's not possible. You've got 45 players there. You've got another 70 staff. So you've got 120 people. And because you're the senior coach, because you're pushed up, you, you're sort of put on that, you know, you're seen as the main guy in the footy program, even though you've got the director of football above you, even though you've got a conditioning, uh, the head of conditioning who is who has more contact hours with the players than anyone, even though you've got physios and doctors that – the players probably spend more downtime around the physio and the masseur unpacking stuff. You've got an hour on the table. Like they're, they're, Their conversations are deep and intense, yep. so they have great influence on a player. But the senior coach is the guy. You know? So everyone wants to, to, uh, to not, not be in his good books or garner favour or have a connection with. It's, it takes a lot of time. So to have the setup where you've got roles and responsibilities and trusts um, and jobs um, associated across the football program to basically allow the senior coach to go where he needs to go to connect with the people within the organisation. And sometimes there's a disconnect yep. and that's potentially where more, more time and energy needs to be spent. Rory Lobb with Justin Longmuir, it doesn't mean that they both weren't connected at different points, but it, it, was, it was looking like it was going to move, so it changed. Brody Grundy and Craig McRae came through that one. And Jack Bowes, we didn't even hear about what Stuart Jew thought about him. We only had, we didn't hear from the Gold Coast aspect of that at all. Just that Jack Bowes and pick seven was up and where are you going to go? And that equation that it was finally good for him to hear what he 
could do for three clubs than what he couldn't do, which was at least to some degree what was occupying their minds. Yeah, and, and at one point, squeezed out. And at one point, um, Gold Coast were doing exactly the same to try and get the best out. But when it's gone, it's gone. And when the t- when when the club believes that the team's immediate interests or or future interests and the club's future interests are served better by letting this relationship go, their are hard conversations and they're, they're tough decisions. England is five for 89. Root and Stokes are trying to reestablish the innings. They're buttoned up at the moment. There's no free-spirited hit- hitting taking place at the moment in Wellington. The, the real tension has taken hold. So the target is 258. It's five for 89. Uh, more on Show Me the Money too. What, what, what we took out of it, what we observed. You can join in. one 736 736 The 40 Winks Temper text 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. Here's Anna in the newsroom. Anna, thank you. Adam Gilchrist is going to join me a little later in the show to chew over what's happened in India so far and what comes next. As Joe Root's just gone 6-4 against Bracewell to move England to five for 101. He's now 26 off 24 balls. Yeah, so he's picked that up in the last two balls. The Baz balls are back. Um, The other aspect, so I know you've been asked to comment a lot around Brodie Grundy, so I'm not going to repeat any of that. But the most fascinating aspect to me, and I'm a doubter on whether the two best ruckmen will work in the same team because I think it will simply reduce each's output. They won't quite be the player that they would be on their own in the ruck. The most interesting aspect I thought of a glimpse of things to come was the relaying of the conversation, the pitch that was made by Gorn to Grundy, that Gorn was going to play 30% in the ruck and 70% forward. Well, that's, and and I don't know whether you could get a Brody Grundy over the line to you unless you made that assertion. He needs to know that he's not just coming as a key forward. So that that's why it's so fascinating to see how that actually settles, because and, you're and, not and going if, to do that if it doesn't work. You, 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 Simon Goodwin has the and the coaching staff have the right and the responsibility to actually set their team up the way it's going to best perform. And if it doesn't best perform that way, well then it's going to shift. And Brody needs to understand that, and so does Max. So does every player. You sign on to do whatever is asked for the best of the, the betterment of the, of the team. So do you think Gorn is a 70% forward potentially? Well, we've seen it. We've seen Gorn work with Jackson and we saw in the 21, you know, towards the end of 21, how Gorn felt that Jackson was better himself. We, we hear that he, you know, selflessly thought that Jackson here, you, you need to be the main man here and I'll go forward. And that, that, that was over time that the mantle was, was sort of passed on in some ways, or at least part of it was, and it was, and the the, the number one ruck role was shared. I, I find that most number one ruckmen see themselves as number one ruckmen, and a number one ruckman feels like they can go from first bounce to the end, they because it's not a game really based on, you know, speed and transition. It's a gr- it's a grinding, aggressive, you know, clearance. Stoppage by stoppage, marking contest by marking contest. It's a grind, and and you know the Nan Curvises. I think uh, Pitney is a modern day sort of combative player. I think Brody Grundy is, and I think Max Gorn is. So it'd be really interesting how the psyche of those individuals that want to be the number one guy, how they feel being one and a half. 
because that's what they're both going to be asked to do. Mm. It'll be, uh, I think it's the most interesting team dynamic of the season to see how they manage it, how they set it up. But less than that, it's about how do they get the best result for each player? Yeah. That, and that's why, you know, that saying in America, if you've got two quarterbacks, you've got no quarterbacks. So you, you are, you are naturally diminishing the two best ruckmen in the competition by sheer virtue of they can't play in the ruck at the same time. Well, so, so if you take it, extrapolate it out and Melbourne have obviously made this, we've got to understand that you still need depth in rock. And like, so one of the things that came out is we've got, we've got Gorn, we've got Grundy and then nothing. So there is no other ruckman on their list. They, they believe yeah. no one capable of playing senior footy at that role. So at this point, so they're skinny in some ways, but fat in the commitment to those two players yeah. in terms of their of what they've committed out of South Africa. I assume. Having said that, you look at Melbourne side of it, you're getting an A grade player in Brody Grundy, probably for two thirds of his of his yes. you know, market worth. It's the same way that Collingwood are getting must be getting Tom Mitchell for probably less than half of his market worth. So he becomes, you know, Tom Mitchell becomes far more of a, of a value proposition to Collingwood than he would if he stayed at Hawthorne and same for Melbourne than if he stayed at Collingwood. So we don't see that, that commerciality or that uh, measure because it's under the surface, but it is a part of the decision-making that takes place. We've watched Show Me The Money too. It's streaming only on Stan, 0433 98 11 16, 1300 736 736. England 5 for 106. Root is now 31 from 29. Ball Stokes is 1 from 15. This is Waitley for Host Plus and Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. Waitley on SEN. This idea of it being voluntary is so blurred. When people start playing footy, they're usually a child. They look up to these you know, idols um, and there might be financial pressures within their family or their circumstances and for some it's an escape from poverty. The idea that these blokes who have spent their whole lives working for something um, with these massive expectations on their shoulders, they don't have this perspective because it's clouded by the expectation. That was Michelle Margulit with me yesterday. She's the lawyer putting together the class action to be filed in the Supreme Court. The first that are, is around concussion, and she put a dollar value of in the of a billion dollars around uh, what that class action is going to represent. I know that sort of piqued your interest, Bucks. Yeah, look, I um to try and absolve an individual from their choice to play a sport or to or any choice that they make, um, I, I that doesn't wash with me. And I, I understand that looking after your constituents, including your playing group, in particular your playing group, who are putting the show on, looking after them is crucial. And, I, and the TPP has continued to rise against the trend of soft cap um, reductions and, and staff um, expenses. And, uh, I, and I think that every, if you ask every player, like if you – you knew there's nothing, there's nothing on the other side. You put your body on the line. You, this is your remuneration. Will you sign a waiver to go and play your sport now? I think you'll, you, you would get a 100, 99% uptake in that. So now we've got, we're trying to back announce that apparently the game or the AFL in particular are responsible for these situations. Now I know that there's going to be 
a, a small mar- a percentage of players and their families that are going to hate hearing what I'm saying because I have empathy for that because there's there's repercussions that you apparently are not even aware of when you when you take the field. But you don't think that you're going to break a jaw or you don't think you're going to break a leg or you don't think that you're going to end up with a dicky knee for the rest of your life and you're not going to be able to bend over and pick up your kids. But that is what happens at times. Um, and concussion becomes a part of that. I don't know where the AFL are responsible for it. I don't know where, you know, being a junior, you know, or the the, the, the knocks that you gather as a, along your junior career where that starts and ends. It's It's a... It's a difficult situation to assess. So every contact sport is facing the same modern challenge is you have to make the game as safe as it can be within the construct of it being a contact sport. Yeah. So it can't be safe, but there's a responsibility to make it as safe as it can be for the participants. And a lot of that is outcome driven, I think, is and you have to be hard on the hits that draw concussion. Yeah, I think the one the the situations that are really interesting are when a player is injured or when a, in particular when a player is concussed, like how has the management of that player considered his long-term interests? And what I've witnessed and noticed is that I've ne- I'd never been a part of that where I wasn't ultimately the decision maker on whether to play or not to play. Yep. That has to lie with the player ultimately. And, Intrinsic in that is that you are the you ultimately make the choice of whether you put yourself out there or you don't. And I think a lot of players choose to put themselves out there when potentially they're not right. So the the advice needs to be strong, and sometimes you need to take the decision out of the players' hands. And clubs do that more and more. Bucks, it, it's 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 a it's a vexed issue, mm, mm, and it it is clearly going to be challenged legally. And every sport is facing up to that reality. So. It's good to see you. Good to have a chat. Cheers, Joe. See you next Tuesday. Look forward to it. Nathan Buckley with me in the studio.